Welcome to the Wild Feather, everyone. Today, we have Cecily Mack, who's a co-founding partner at Wisdom Ventures Fund on the show with us. She was in legal and operation roles, leadership roles within startups, and has had crazy success within startups, knows the grind. She was doing all of this before uniting with an incredible team of folks to start Wisdom. She is an absolute breath of fresh air coming out of Silicon Valley and an absolute delight. She shares the scoop with us on what they look for in companies and founders, the types of investments they make, and the types of industries they're looking into and working with. And we also get a little taste of some personal projects she's working on. So join me in this heartfelt, genuine, great conversation. Super excited about our guest today, Cecily Mack. She is has a really fun and cool, unique story, and she's an investor and um, has a really interesting and um, I don't know eclectic, I think, outlook on their investments and the way they approach things. Uh, a bit different than other VC firms or other. Um, investment firms. So I am super excited to have you here with us. And I can't wait to uh, unfold your story or have you unfold your story as to uh, how you got started in startups and then what led you on to the um, investment journey. So thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. It's great to be here. Thanks for having yeah, me. Of course. So uh Give us a little bit of rundown because you've had a few venture investment stops along the way, but you started out in legal in general counsel, correct? That's right. Yeah. I I started out in law firms in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> and then how did you, how did it transpire to the startup industry from a law firm? Yeah. That's kind of a big jump. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that one of the things that comes up a lot when I speak to young people about their path and their journey is an ownership on, on my part of how long it took me to figure out what I actually wanted to do. Truth be told, I attended undergrad with an interest in Eastern philosophy and religion and anthropology and spent time in India and had this whole other area of interest and I went to law school thinking it would give me some credibility that I could do something kind of off the beaten path and have a little bit more clout than I might had I not. And so I entered law school thinking about as learning a language and acquiring skills, which certainly did some good, some not so great. And <laughs> I, I ended up going to a law firm for three years after graduating and just let myself follow my interests a little bit. And by the end of the second year, it was evident that I was attracting clients into the firm at an unusual rate. 
And when I paid attention to what that was about, I realized I was surrounded in my personal life with very interesting people doing fascinating entrepreneurial things. I was based in San Francisco at the time, and this is the early 2000s. So it's no surprise that I had a lot of people in my world who were starting boutiques or photo businesses online or little fashion firms, whatever it might be. And they all needed a lawyer. And so mm -hmm. I was happy to bring them on board as a client. The firm was thrilled that I was bringing in business as a young associate. And before long, one of my contacts asked me if I would consider going in-house at a music tech company, which I did in 2004. And that was probably the biggest step in a different direction that I can think of. Everything was a little bit more organic from there. But mm -hmm. going from a fairly rigid client services, corporate feeling law firm with an office up on the 18th floor into a startup is a pretty exciting change. And I experienced a sense of fitting in much more just overnight. I yeah. can dress more like myself, you know, we <laughs> hung out in the kitchen and made bagels in the morning. And there was just a levity and a sense of humanity and willingness to have fun while working that I found in a startup that I didn't have. How, bi how big was the startup that you first joined? So the first one was actually listen.com, which had been recently acquired by Real Networks, which is a public company. So mm -hmm. the office that I joined was a San Francisco office of a startup. The Real Networks company at the point was into the couple thousands, but we still had this feeling of being under 200 people down in the San Francisco music office. And I joined as an entry-level lawyer in a team. I ended up staying with the, the company for six, seven years and kind of moved my way up into the general counsel position when we spun it out, another music service out of a, a joint venture between Viacom and Real. And during that period also was married and had two children and kind of navigated balancing personal life and, and working for a big company. Yeah, I don't think there is such a thing as balance when you have two kids and a husband and a company, but yeah, no kidding. you do your best, right? We do our best. That's, that's absolutely right. Um, but anyway, I was with uh, I was with the the music company until 2012, and then I went to Flipboard, which is a publishing a platform online for mobile content from 12 to 18. And then in 2018, I made the leap over to a crypto startup, and I spent four of the last five years in two different crypto companies. And it was in that crypto journey where I was able to take a bit more of a firm step into investing. Um, when I'd been at Flipboard, yeah. I loved working with our investors. I got to attend all the board meetings as the general counsel and the chief revenue officer. And I, I was fascinated by the role that our investors played. And when we were raising our series B and C, that whole dance of kind of both pitching, but also initiating a collaboration and partnership with an investor just was extremely intriguing to me. So I had an opportunity in my in my crypto years to start doing some portfolio management, some angel investing, and then also join a, a small fund, a $10 million seed fund that exclusively invested in women founded and operated startups. And that's, that's really how I made the shift. That's awesome. Now, when you were at the... Um the crypto company, you also morphed into like an operations person too. I found that component c 
because it was a small team, right? It was like the CEO was like, I need you to come over <laughs> and I, <laughs> I need you. And so then you just shifted over into operating and kind of like, not really a co-founder, but I feel like you acted as if, um, and so what was that like? Yeah. So, so just one little thread, um, that's worth highlighting to make some sense of it. I, I had made this, uh, I, I had, my journey was really crafted in helping companies transition from analog to digital. So the music startup was digital music. The publishing startup was digital content, particularly mobile. And then the crypto chapters, obviously getting the world comfortable with cryptocurrencies. Uh, yeah. which is a very innovative digital backed manner, code backed manner of moving value around the planet. And I had my first crypto role working with consensus, uh, helping on the software side in more of an operations role. I didn't want to be an attorney in the crypto field. Mm -hmm. I came in to help grow that business. And through that time there ended up picking up an advisory role in addition to my operations and some portfolio management I was doing uh, with a founder who I met through a friend and uh, Constantine, he's the CEO and, and still is of Block Demon. And I got on the phone with him kind of as a favor to our shared friend. I had no interest in actually joining another company. I had done my tour of duty as a C-level executive and venture-backed startups and was starting my transition into board and investing roles. And I got on a Zoom with Constantine and what was supposed to be a 30-minute intro call ended up being almost two hours. Oh, wow. We just I love had, calls like that. Yeah, it was great. It was one of those, his strengths happened to be my weaknesses and vice versa. And by the end of the call, I said, look, you know, would you come on? Would you, would you advise? Would you just kind of formalize this? We can speak more regularly. And I said, sure, but it's going to be limited and I'm going to be expensive. And I was very hesitant, uh, but I did jump on. And after about six months of advising, it became clear that that 11 person startup was growing quickly. We actually doubled our value in that first four months from a $25 million company to a $50 million company based on That's our seven. And he asked me if I'd come on as a COO and I was thrilled to. So that transition honestly was um, fairly easy in that if you work in house as an attorney for long enough, you develop an important partnership and trusted advisory role with the founding team or the operating team. And you end up doing more operations than you might realize if you're actually broadening your skill set and being willing to operate at your own personal range and capacity. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, at Flipboard, in my first six months, I was asked to also oversee people in finance in addition to legal. I didn't have any people or finance skills, but I knew how to kind of guide and lead teams and help us make good decisions based on healthy risk profiles. So it's just more of that. And um, we had a great run. I, I loved working with Block Demon and we, we grew the company very quickly and raised an enormous amount of capital and really positioned ourselves as a leader in that space. Um, it's really crypto infrastructure, the, the Web3, of, or sorry, the Amazon Web Services of Web3. Um, so that was a very natural and fun role for me, for sure. Yeah. What a great learning experience as well. Yeah, no, it was, it was a blast and it's all about the people, right? I mean, 
when I first joined, we were 11 people. Constantine had done a phenomenal job of very carefully selecting and retaining his core team. And so we used that core DNA to build out the company to almost 300 people in wow. under two years. And That's amazing. Yeah, it was um, this wonderful blend of, is this person wildly capable and do I want to work with them and can I trust them? We were 100% remote. We were scattered across the planet and uh, we stayed really close, even though many of us didn't meet each other until a year later after joining the company. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> that is fun. Okay. So tell us about the How Women Invest, um, a little bit about that firm. Yeah, sure. So uh, Julie Abrams, one of the two co-founders of How Women Invest, uh, had been running a women's networking organization in Silicon Valley for a long time. And I knew her through that group because women working in the Valley over the last 15, 20 years, we, we tend to find each other and support each other. <laughs> it has not always been an easy position. I don't think it's still, it, it is yet even, um, but I, I had joined some of her events and gatherings and I saw she announced publicly that she was launching a venture firm that was going to exclusively invest in women founded, women operated companies. And not only was she launching a firm, but she wanted to launch it with up to a hundred LPs to fill out that $10 million fund one, which meant that the entry fee was feasible for many of us who were not independently wealthy or hadn't had any great win or exit from our work yeah. experience yet. And so I got on the phone with her pretty quickly and I was one of those early co-founding LPs. Uh, I remember at the time it was a bit painful for me to have to write my check. I came in at the bare minimum uh, to participate and it was early in COVID days and I was working from home and kind of just making things happen with my kids. And I had such a strong sense that this is the right thing to do, not only as a gesture of trust and confidence for what Julie was building, but as a step forward for myself in wanting to do more investing and get onto the other side of the table in the startup ecosystem. And so that was the beginning of a, a fun run with her. We actually stayed close. This is a few years ago, and I'm actually going to meet her for coffee tomorrow. We don't live too far away. And uh, she's also been really instrumental in helping us at Wisdom Ventures make some early decisions in crafting our own first fund one. So um, really happy for what they're doing. And uh, she's absolutely having an impact. I'll note how women invest is not just writing checks either. Um, they host a lot of events to educate uh, leaders, women leaders on how to market themselves, how to build out a board bio, um, how to navigate some kind of critical and often intimidating pivots or forks in the road in our own career path. And so she's extremely generous with her network and, and her time in addition to building out this fund. That's amazing. Sounds yeah. wonderful. I, I feel like I need to meet this woman. Yeah. I would um, love to refer her to you. <laughs> She'd be a great guest. She would be a great guest. Uh, okay. So on to Wisdom Ventures. So you are a co-founder and, um, Tell us how, where the idea came from and cause it's fun, I think. And, 
what you're all about, because I feel like you have a very unique approach and how you interact with your founders. You're also on, I feel like a certain mission, like you, you target or you invest in certain types of companies and what their mission is, shall we say. So tell us how Wisdom Ventures came about. And you also have an impressive team, which is really cool to see too. Oh yeah. No, this is a, this is a, I feel like one of my children. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we birthed this into the world with a lot of intention and, and good luck and tender, loving kindness and care. And it's uh it's grown on its own. But uh, the way that Wisdom Ventures came about, uh, actually, the beginning of 2021, I was on a Zoom call with a friend of mine, Soren Gordhammer. Uh, I know him through his work as the founder and leader of the Wisdom 2.0 conference and community uh, here in the Bay Area. And the Wisdom 2.0, if, if your listeners aren't familiar, it, it covers the intersection of mindfulness, well-being, and technology. And so he's been pulling leaders together within that arena for over a decade. And we had a shared interest in the space, and we were kind of trying to support each other through thinking through what we wanted to do in this new year. It was still the depths of the pandemic. So this is through Zoom and at home and no in-person meetings. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that we both had a, a shared interest in investing, we both had a vision for investing in a way that is different than what we had witnessed to date so far in, in Silicon Valley and beyond. And we both knew a number of both potential investors, people who had made significant money doing what they did as founders of successful tech companies or as senior leaders within successful tech companies, as well as many potential entrepreneurs across our networks, we had many people with wonderful ideas who just needed that little bit of fuel in the tank to take something from um, one stage to the next. And so we said, let's keep talking about this. And we had another Zoom call and then it became a weekly Zoom call through the beginning of 2021. And then we had a friend, Ruchika Sikri, uh, who had been at Google leading well-being for 15 years, I think. Um, she had left Google and was looking for more purposeful work and she wanted to come on board and support. So we added Ruchika to our calls and then we added another Wisdom 2.0 friend, Gus Tai, who still serves as an advisor, um, but he's been a longtime investor with Trinity, 20, 25 years or so, very well respected. And he started doing our weekly Zooms with us. And uh, before we knew it, this idea was starting to come to life and in the summer of that year, we also added two really key partners, uh, Jack Cornfield, who's a well-known author, mm -hmm. uh, co-founder of Spirit Rock, and, and in many ways credited with bringing Buddhism to North America. Um, a remarkable, dear human and also longtime friend of Soren's. And then Diego Perez, who writes under the pen name Young Pueblo, uh, he's actually an immigrant from Ecuador who has really pivoted his entire life to the arena of mindfulness and relationships. And he's a three times New York Times bestseller on these topics and also just curious about investing in economics and all those things as well. And then we added our, our final sixth partner, Bradley Horowitz, who's a product VP at Google and to thank for 
products such as Gmail and Maps. <laughs> so also quite capable. That's a remarkable and amazing and fabulous lineup. Right? Oh, it's like, amazing. I mean, I, yeah. I can only imagine having all of you in one room, just like I would love to be a fly on the wall, just to listen to all the wisdom that comes from everyone. Uh, so, and you know what? It's not just, you know, capacity or capability and thoughtfulness and wisdom. We're actually a really fun group and we meet every single Monday for an hour and we do in-person offsites once or twice a year. And we have developed this relationship that's like a little mini family um, among us, which is just beautiful. So that's that's been the the six of us, and and we have worked hard to do it right. So there's a lot involved in founding a venture firm. Um, I had actually considered it some years ago after my Flipboard chapter, and was intimidated and kind of pressed pause until I felt like I had more more skills or more information about how to go about it. Um, you know, there's the setting up the entities and making sure you have all the right licenses in place and the bank accounts and then the right bank account. And it just goes on and on. Uh, Ruchika has been our full-time operating partner and the rest of us have other projects and work we're doing throughout our weeks um, that we do, uh, we do meet together consistently. And this firm sometimes feels like it has a little life of its own. Um, we raised $8 million to date from almost 50 LPs, uh, including some very highly regarded, uh, you know, founders and leaders across companies like Slack and Twitter and Facebook. Um, and we have invested to date in 12 companies, um, all startups that are in this very specific niche that we are working in, which is, um, companies that are seeking to make the world a better place through human connection, mindfulness, and well-being. Um, and they cover the gamut. We have some that are very zeroed in on mental health for a certain type of worker. We have some that um, are supporting women through the various stages of their reproductive life mm -hmm. over decades. Um, we have two AI companies that we did very strict diligence on to ensure that they actually were well-intended and not going to be um, part of the dark side of that story. Mm -hmm. um, and even psychotropics uh, used for ah. healing PTSD. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a great, uh, great, great run so far. We've screened almost 900 startups. We've had intro meetings with just under 100 and um, at our $10 million seed fund level, our checks are all between one hundred dollars and $250,000. That's what I was getting ready to ask. So yeah. your average investment's one hundred dollars to two hundred and fifty dollars And then do you lead rounds or do you um, piggyback? Yeah, we, we for this fund, fund one, and there will be fund two and probably fund three, we explicitly do not lead rounds. Um, our check sizes are so small and we want a certain minimum level of traction across our portfolio um, that it, it doesn't quite fit for us to be leading. And we also have the luxury of benefiting from some of the early diligence from some of the lead investors. So while we are not afraid to write the first check, um, we are less likely to do that and also benefit from the diligence that other investors have, have gone through in their process. Are most of these pre-seed or seed? They're mostly seed. 
Um, we made a little bit of room for two A investments. Um, they're going to be very noisy okay. because they're almost household names at this point. And just through our relationships network, we had an opportunity to participate in both of those. And the founders in each case really wanted Wisdom Ventures in as well, uh, in part for what we stand for as an investor. Uh, there are hundreds of venture firms in the US and elsewhere that are very happy to bring in capital, make good business decisions and cut checks with a certain threshold minimum promise of return to their LPs. While we want to do that, we are also incredibly committed to making sure that we're making impactful investments, that we are an available resource to our founders and their teams and staying true to their original mission, despite some of the pressures of building a strong and valuable company that they will hopefully encounter along the way. Mm -hmm. And, um, they, they like having us on board as a visible part of their support network. So we've benefited right. from that a lot. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was inspiring about um, how you all meet with your investments is whenever you mentioned that you do um, meditation at the beginning of each of your meetings, which I thought was just really awe-inspiring. Hmm. Are Thank they you. are they told that up front or do they get on these meetings and like oh. <laughs> it's, it's be quiet? Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we 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 adapt a bit based on the circumstances. So um, first of all, it's important to note that our our own team meetings, which are for an hour every Monday, uh, we absolutely start with a one to two minute sit. And that's really six or seven of us sitting on a Zoom quietly with our eyes closed, just practicing for a minute or two, just be mm. in contemplation and bring your energy into the moment. And typically nobody leads, even though we have some very capable meditation leaders on our call, we just have that moment of quiet. And then we spend, you know, 10, 15, sometimes 20 or more minutes doing a check-in. How's everybody doing? And in, you can imagine in the last year and a half, two years, um, we have had a lot happen in our yeah. personal lives. And so we have found that sharing and being there for each other uh, has helped to build our bond and our abilities. So following the meditation, we do have a, we do have a check-in. Um, and with our founders and our LPs, um, we have a typically quarterly community call. That's an hour that our founders and our LPs are invited to. And as many of the six of us, seven of us who can join, we join. Uh, that always also starts with a meditation. Uh, sometimes then it's followed by some type of substantive talk or share or interview with a guest. And then we open it up for Q&A with members of the community who join. Um, we've had, you know, 100, 200 people join those calls before. Uh, because we don't narrow the invite list to just our committed LPs or founders. It's really anybody who's interested in Wisdom Ventures. And it turns out there are thousands oh. and thousands of people who are interested in Wisdom Ventures, um, primarily through our socials. So yeah. um, we're happy to have that. And then in, in meetings with founders, um, our existing founders, if we're doing check-in calls, we'd be happy to offer a meditation. Um, these days, we have so much interest in capital uh, that we're doing just quick 30 minute pitch meetings with those who make it through the first two levels of screening 
And okay. every so tell us what those first two levels are, just for our listeners that are interested. Oh, sure. In so first we direct founders to our website and they fill out a form and it's pretty standard what you would expect. Um, you know, the name of your company, your website, tell us a little about what you're building. Ideally, we would like to see a pitch deck. We want to know that you have a product that's actually developed. We're beyond mm -hmm. just the idea stage. Um, and basic information about the intentions around the capital raise. Um, that goes into our system. Um, and then Ruchika, as our operating partner, is the one who filters through those and helps us bring that list down to a smaller number that might be um, good candidates for an exploratory call. And then one or two of the partners will reach out to the founder and let them know, and they can either join on their own or with one or two or three other members of their team. And it's their chance to kind of meet us um, and tell us a little bit more about what they're building and why beyond what we might have been able to read in their, in their deck. Um, one thing I've noticed uh, in this fund in particular, and, and it's different than some of the other pitches um, I've, I've worked with and supported as a portfolio manager or uh, in other organizations, is that we spend most of that time talking in a conversation as opposed to listening to a founder pitch. It's not actually a good path for a founder to just get on a Zoom and walk us through their deck. They'll often offer that. Do you want us to walk, us, walk you through our deck? Well, not really. We have your deck and we can read it. And if it's a right. good deck, we know what you're doing <laughs> and we understand why you're raising money. But we really want to know is why are you doing it? Who are uh. you? Why do you care? Why do you want Wisdom Ventures to invest? There's other capital out there that might be more straightforward or bigger or whatever it is, what is it that makes you believe that we have a compatibility that's worth spending time on? So those are really lovely conversations, but they go very fast. Mm, okay. So the three minute conversation. Yeah. 30, and 30, 30, 30 minute, sorry, 30 minute conversation. And then from there you all decide and then yeah. invest or is there, are there more meetings? So from that point, um, Usually there are at least two, but four or less of the six of us on that call. Uh, and if we're all positive, if we don't have any strong reasons to not continue the exploration, and often there are, uh, maybe we've noticed that they've been trying to raise just $2 million for nine months, and it makes us wonder what's the red flag here, or... Mm -hmm. Uh, they just had a pretty significant product pivot and they haven't actually proven that this is a a good path yet. Mm. Or a founder seemed distracted and not really all the way there or just didn't mm. show up for the call. I mean, there are all mm. kinds of red flags. So absent yeah. any big red flags and a general interest, uh, we will in the following uh, weekly meeting, if we can afford to wait, or sometimes we'll do it quickly through text or email that day. Uh, alert the other partners to the fact that we have a company that's of interest and uh, schedule a second call, actually. Um, and that would be one where ideally anybody who wasn't on the first call uh, has the opportunity to join that Zoom and meet the founder of founders directly and ask their own questions and get a sense for them as well. Um, we just to know, we typically have one of the partners who's 
the lead in this. So mm -hmm. there will typically be whoever brought that person in or whoever had a relationship or initially um, had something to do with the initial diligence will probably attend both calls. And then we have a fairly quick assessment process. Uh, there are a number of different uh, factors that we, we consider um, very obvious. We follow, you know, what could be seen as a standard YC model uh, with regard to the market, with regard to the capability of the founders. Um, is this actually something that we anticipate will grow within a reasonable time frame? Um, there's certain areas where we just generally have red flags, um, but a number um, that will will feel like there's a real synergy there, and we have a lot of faith and confidence in the team and. Then we make together a decision, either in a team meeting or through text or email, depending on time sensitivity, a decision to invest. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I love it. So what advice would you give to founders or do you have any advice for founders that are starting out or looking for funding? What's the biggest takeaway you've had from all of these applications and pitches and conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an interesting balance between being ready and not too ready. Honestly, um, we have had a number of founders make it all the way into a screening with us, you know, an hour or so of zoom. Uh, and then we all get on and use their product because that's typically what we like to do. We want to really understand mm -hmm. what we're investing in. And yeah. sadly, we've had a couple of cases where the founders are great. The market is strong. The opportunity is real. We really like them. They have strong backgrounds and credibility, but then the product is not up to par. It's not ready yet. And it's not in a beta controlled state. It's in market. And when we're oh, working and wow. in, investing in the field of mental health, and well-being, um, a lot of our portfolio companies are building products and services that work with people who are in some type of a distressed state, or they're seeking to improve their physical or mental health in some way. Mm -hmm. And so if they're building something that's intended to have a healing function or a human supportive function, and it doesn't work well enough to achieve that end, you could actually end up having the counter effect. Yeah. Um, I had this happen recently where there was an AI um, chat that was the product and I went in and started using it and the user experience was so negative and so confusing and so misguided that I ended up in a worse general mental state after 10 minutes of trying to get this thing going. And I'm thinking, God forbid my, you know, 79 year old dad were to encounter something like this. Like, so I mean, it's really not ready that it kind of is. Yeah. Like yeah, make sure your ready. stuff works. Yeah. Right. Just make sure you're, you're ready and make sure your deck is accurate and you don't have, you know, numbers that mismatch in slides, you know, two to seven and your yeah. team is going to give the same answer to the same question on two different calls. I mean, basic prep, get your act together stuff. Yeah. Now the other side of the coin is don't be too ready. We all know incredibly capable founders who have, whether it's an imposter complex or self-doubt or they get some their head. critic that mm -hmm. just keeps them from doing the thing. And they've been talking about it and dreaming about it and putting together summaries and telling their friends and family for years. Don't do that either. 
you know, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Um, Mm. So that would be my suggestion. And I'll also note it's, it's almost always women who fall into that second category. We just tend to think we have to just really have our act together and be absolutely perfect to do that one first step forward into something scary and bold and risky. And I just really try to encourage women to pick their battles, you know, have your act together. If you have a high standard for yourself, you're probably more prepared than you think. Um, run your, run your stuff by someone and get an affirmation or two and then keep going. Yeah, it's very true. So what have you learned along your journey? Not just at, as a VC or part of wisdom ventures, like throughout your career, did you ever have any big aha moment or any looking back, would you have done anything different? It's mm, a great question. I think in my case, and I've seen this in others as well. Um, I, if I could do anything differently, I would have probably listened with more trust to my own inner voice and guidance Mm -hmm. more regularly and consistently over the years. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of powering through uncomfortable things Mm -hmm. in in life and in work. Uh, You know, we were kind of laughing a little bit at the beginning of the call about, you know, balancing motherhood and a full-time executive job in Silicon Valley. Like, that's no joke. That is really, really hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, I, I know that I had a lot of inner cries for change during that period. When I was with my children on a weekday afternoon, I felt shame and guilt for missing the meeting. Mm-hmm. When I was at the meeting and not at the preschool play, I just felt awful for not being present for my little boy. Mm-hmm. And that being torn can really cause long-term distress and damage um, to ourselves and the people around us. And frankly, it's not really good for the companies we're trying to build either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, one big lesson, and I had to learn it a hard way, is to really listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, it, And it's also not terribly simple to follow that advice either, because it's hard to sometimes know what that inner voice is, is, you know, I would go to sleep at night thinking, is this inner voice, is my true intuition telling me to get out of this rat race and move to a cheaper place and have a less sexy job and be more involved in my kid's school for the next 10 years? Mm -hmm. Is that, is that my inner voice or was was that my true intuition or was my, was my kind of fatigue and just, you know, wanting to throw my hands in the air, trying to give me a, a, an out. And my true inner voice was the one that was saying, get up and go crush it. You know, there's another promotion down the road and there's another equity grant if you hang on for another six months. And it's really hard to discern. And so the deeper and more important lesson is to make sure that we have in our lives the space and time to tune into whatever that inner truth is. And it might be, yeah, yeah, like, you know, for some people it's a meditation retreat for some people it's a walk around the block for some people. It's just not being social for a weekend and 
taking your time to write and read and reflect. And I, you know, I, I, I have periods where I, I stopped doing that because I was hitting it so hard on both ends. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm really disciplined about making sure to make that space now. Yeah, that's great. Um, a great learning experience and learning tool too to pass on to others. Like, it's so true. I'm. I mean, I feel like all of us have been there. And yeah. you're right. If you don't stop, then it's like you have a battle going on in your head of like, which one should I do? Right? Yeah. Something will I, stop you if you don't stop yourself, unfortunately, right. is the way that that usually right. goes. Exactly. Exactly. So what would you say, I don't know, as a an investor, if you have any obstacles that you face or from a startup when you had that massive growth at the um, crypto company, but any obstacles that you've faced and how did you overcome them? that would be relevant to other founders or investors. I mean, we have investors mm -hmm. on here all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Just yeah. a learning experience, just like the real deal, you know? Yeah, sure thing. Um, well, I think when it, when it comes down to investing in companies, running companies, founding a company, all the products and ideas and technology, whatever it is you're building are all very interesting. But when it comes down to it, you're really only as good as your people. Who are the human beings behind the effort? Are they actually engaged and committed and excited and loyal? Um, we could have a fantastic company together, but if our most valuable tech leader decides that they're not inspired anymore and they don't feel well taken care of, and they leave with very little notice, it, it could have a, a severe negative domino effect on the rest of the organization and take a whole company down if it's not handled well. So one of the things I did as an operator, and I advise founders on this a lot, um, is make sure that you're attuning to the team um, and aware of what different key members need along the way. So. In my last two or three roles, um, probably my biggest obstacle was finding the best talent possible. And then once I found them and onboarded them, making sure that I was doing everything I could to retain them and help them feel like they were in a position to do their best work while also living a life. Mm -hmm. And not only is that challenging in and of itself, but it's also challenging uh, or even, even further challenging because we're doing so much through Zoom these days. Mm -hmm. We don't get the benefits of body language and when somebody walks into a room, what's their energy like? I mean, you, you kind of have to read through text and video. And so right. one of the ways that I overcame this after losing a couple people that I didn't want to lose in important roles um, was something I refer to as um, discovering and leveraging work love languages. So we all know the oh, yeah, love yeah. languages. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed applying a model like that to a work love language. And we all have them just like the personal love languages. Yeah. I've never um, even thought about it. Yeah. And if you get it wrong, it, it could be very catastrophic. <laughs> um, but if you get it right, True. you have just a wonderful flow of relating and collaborating with somebody. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, 
I, I, first of all, the, the love languages that I am most aware of, and I'm sure somebody could think of others, are um, public praise, mm-hmm. private praise, additional challenge, mm-hmm. a title change or promotion, or uh, compensation, whether that's cash or equity. So yeah. it's good to kind of figure out what are the motivators for the core people on your team, your MVPs. I had one uh, wonderful gentleman working for me at one point, uh, and he had, he had an important division lead job. And to recognize him, I would publicly praise him because that's my work love language. I like it when a CEO or a board calls attention to me in a forum, a meeting or at all hands and just says, Cecily, thank you for what you've done. We wouldn't be here without you. I, that right. just, that's my love language. It makes me feel appreciated and like all that hard work was worth it because it had some impact and people noticed. Well, that's what I stupidly decided would be the right way to appreciate this member of my team. So in our executive team meetings every month or so, I would you know, publicly highlight his latest accomplishment and every once in a while I'll call him out in all hands. And it was not bringing the results that I hoped for. It was mm. actually making him withdraw a little bit um, and kind of, ask me in advance if he was going to do that again. And then, you know, maybe be late to that meeting. I don't know. It was an odd thing. And I finally figured out that for him, that was the opposite of his love language. Ah. He, he wanted, if any praise, which he was still uncomfortable with, he wanted it in private. And I think part of it was his upbringing. He's um, to have a, uh, and I don't want to draw gross generalizations. We talked about this later and he agreed with me. Um, have a very well-educated, successful Asian man mm. publicly complimented by a younger white female, even if uh. my role was senior to him, was very off-putting to him on the way he was raised. And so I had to learn quickly that what he actually liked was more challenge. Mm. Like difficulty was his love language. Give me mm. something to do that you don't think I can do and I might not even think I can do. Right. That really put fuel in his tank. Sure. Um, yeah. So that's been, that's been a really fun one to, to figure out. And you can start mapping your team. You can start see, oh yeah, that person, yeah, they really, they really need to know that they're appreciated, but privately, yeah. or they really need to know that uh, there is a promotion coming for them in six months if they keep up the level of performance and exactly yeah. what the words in that new title will be. I would, I would think that some people wouldn't even know. So you would have to spend some time and kind of test and really watch them. Um, Absolutely. And the way they work to be able to figure that out. Absolutely. Because I've done this before in leadership roles where I manage teams and if you ask them how they're motivated, what motivates you, right? Then you get answers that really aren't true, right? Like, <laughs> it's so not, it doesn't work, right? Yeah. Unless they're re- they really know themselves. But I don't think everyone really knows themselves that well. Yeah. And, th- and that's the beauty, I think, of, I'm sure you've touched on this in other forums. The, the beauty of strong leadership is really paying very close attention. I mean, frankly, it's the beauty of relationships. It's all Mm -hmm. relationships. It's all human connection. How does somebody communicate with us and respond to certain behaviors or expressions or circumstances? And we show our appreciation by noticing those details and then honoring that individual for their unique snowflake way of moving through the world. Mm -hmm. And that's a way in our personal life to show love 
and of mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar at work. Yeah. People sure. really, really appreciate it when they know their manager, or their boss is paying close attention to them. Yeah. And that builds loyalty and, you know, helps people really do fantastic work. Yeah. So this may be a unique question and you may not know, or you could answer it in two different ways, but what would you like your legacy to be? It could be personal. It could be with wisdom ventures, but like, Oh, do we have another hour? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I would be happy to talk to you for another hour. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, so truth be told, um, I'm public about this now. I wasn't when we first met. Um, I, at the end, towards the second half of last year, I gradually wound down my COO role at Block Demon, um, for a variety of reasons. I felt like I just needed to prioritize other parts of my life and, it was a very intense job and we had this very high growth and it was just time, but it took time to do. And, um, six days after I informed my team and confirmed with my board, the details of my departure and corresponding promotions, et cetera, I had a breast cancer diagnosis. Really? And I'm sorry. Thank you. Talk about a way to kind of put intentions and desires for a legacy into, into perspective. Um, I, you know, CLDR, I had wonderful treatment. I had a minor surgery and some radiation and I have wonderful care in medicine and I expect to live many, many more decades. So, um, it was not an experience I wish on anybody, but it's also not the end of of this life for me. I'm very fortunate in that regard. Um, but you know, in, in thinking that through, uh, I knew I was going to take a lot of this year to work on some of my more purposeful work, which is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that experience just put a big exclamation point on that for me. Uh, one of the things that happened over the last five years in transitioning into co-founding and leading wisdom ventures with my partners um, was I got out of the the kind of rat race of working too much, being disconnected from my loved ones, kind of being in that hamster wheel of too much stress and distraction and over mm-hmm. everything. And uh, I, in order to make good decisions and frankly move out of a marriage and a bunch of other big life shifts, I took a 30 day break from drinking or intoxicants of any kind, which then became 60 days and 90 days. And here I am in year six. And that has been a really transformative experience. And so I spend a lot of my time today um, writing and speaking with people about how to really unearth their own intuition and live with an abundance of clarity around how we spend our precious time. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about my legacy, uh, I would hope that people, some people in my life have been touched by that work uh, and have maybe seen that they're are ways to live uh, that are less dimmed, less Mm -hmm. dulled, less um, distracted, more present. Mm -hmm. And um, that would feel like a a life very well spent if I could have that impact. Uh, That's uh, fantastic. How do you share this through what Mm. medium? Mm. Um, I, well, for the last four years or so, I've built up a fairly robust Instagram at okay. Clear Life Journey. 
Uh, I just am in my third week of building out a Substack audience. I have a free newsletter through Substack under my name, Cecily Mack. Um, I've written a book that huh? I'm starting the publishing journey on now. That's wonderful. And I have another one in the works, uh, which is called The Eight Awarenesses, which is a kind of a rewrite of the 12 steps, which is more about self-empowerment and decision-making <clears throat> decision making as opposed to um, surrender, failure, having to give in, um, right. which is what some of my experience in the other paths were. Letting go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. I love yeah. it. Thank I love you. It. And yeah. I get to do this and help startups do awesome things. Yeah. So. Like it, it's, it's, it all it's sounds remarkable. It sounds like a really cool, fun, but I can just tell from your demeanor that you're in a good place. Like, thank you. Yeah. A good, healthy mental state. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. I mean, and a, I'm glad that, and yeah, well, I'm glad that you're healing from your most recent situation too. That's has to be scary. Yeah, no, it, it was, and it was a, it was a wake up call. And it was also a real opportunity for me to connect with other women who have been through this um, and also connect the work with my clear life work. Mm -hmm. uh, there is something about very successful women um, and alcohol use and cancer, interestingly. Um, yeah. you know, when we live a life that is kind of hitting the gas a bit too hard, or we're feeling deeply internally torn, something will slow us down at some point. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm so fortunate that I kind of had that intuitive call before things were too severe on my end and anything I can do to help other women attune to that, um, and listen to themselves before it's yeah. too far down the road, the happy I am to do that. That's great. So how can we help you? How can we help you with your personal journey? And how can we help you with wisdom ventures? No, oh, what a great question. Well, I'll start with the latter. With wisdom ventures, we're really the we're the the middle people between amazing founders and LPs who have capital that they want to help they want to use to help move the world forward in a positive way while also making great investments. So we're always uh, grateful via our website uh, to receive referrals or introductions um, for either of those cohorts. Okay. Um, we're about $2 million shy of our 10 million target for fund one. And uh, so purpose-driven investors who want to join in this journey, please reach us. And similarly for founders, if um, people have a, a positive impacting idea that's um, baked into a startup um, that is serving to help advance human connection, well-being, mindfulness, mental health. Uh, we would love to meet them. Love it. Um, on my personal journey, uh, I'm I'm really enjoying spending more time writing about my work. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, if people are interested, I, I appreciate the engagement and the follows through either of my socials being Substack or Instagram or my primary. And that's how you'll also find out about, um, Your my book. memoir book when that's Yay. public. Yay. We'll be watching. And we will, we'll add that to our website too. Once you launch it as, um, okay. on our product page. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, you're welcome. Also, we will include uh, Wisdom Ventures website um, below, so you can easily click on that and head um, to their website and get more details. Excellent. Or apply for funding or become an investor. And uh, we will also include your links to your Instagram and Substack so people can connect with you there. Thank you so Uh, much. I am so grateful that you joined me today. And I'm so grateful for your time and you taking time out of your day to spend with me and to share your story and to share not only wisdom, your experience at wisdom and your career journey, but also be vulnerable to share with us your personal um, journey as well. So thank you. I can't thank you enough. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, subscribe to our channel, The Wild Feather. If you want to learn more about our guests or their products and companies, you can visit our website at thewildfeatherpodcast.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to receive info on our upcoming episodes. Follow us on social media to get the latest deets. We're on all of them, so pick your favorite and follow us. And if you're a founder and need funding or accelerator info or business resources, you can go to our website, thewildfeatherpodcast.com and find some valuable information and resources there. No matter if you're a founder, your investor, or what your path is, just remember you were born with wings. Wings.